Hey guys, thanks for listening to this message from Soli Church. Our prayer is that this message would be a blessing and resource for you. But no sermon or podcast can ever take the place of being connected to a local church. If you're in or around the Ventura County area, we would love for you to join us. You can find when and where we are meeting by visiting solelychurch.com. S-O-L-I church.com. Rest in Jesus, Christian. Church, you may be seated. As you are, please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. As we are in the Gospel of Luke during the Advent season here in 2021 at Soli. Luke chapter 1. And our passage this morning begins at verse 39 and goes through verse 56. Luke 1, beginning in verse 39, hear the word of God. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. The word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, you are seated at the right hand of the Father now. You are the shepherd of the sheep in this room. They are your flock. You are their shepherd, but you are the pasture land in which they feed as well. And today, may they find the pasture lands full of your life-giving person and your life-giving work. And may the grazing that we do and the feeding that we do in the field of your word create in us and animate in us the repeat of the sounding joy of Christmas for a world that is locked in desperation and depression. 
In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Our theme this year at Soli during the Advent Christmas season is the dawn of redeeming grace. And the dawn of redeeming grace arrives in a most inhospitable world. In chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible tells us that in those days, a decree, maybe a mandate, went out from Caesar Augustus. This is the horizon of Mary's life, a big Roman political taxation machine on the cusp of a decree. But before that, in chapter 1 and verse 5, we hear these ominous words, in the days of Herod, king of Judah, this local paranoid, murderous, baby-killing, thug king who lives and reigns in the area of Judah who killed his wife, Marianne, and killed three of his sons because he lived in paranoid fear for his throne. It is this world. It is the world of Herod, and it is the world of Caesar Augustus, this inhospitable world that on the outskirts of this very misery, on the margins of this very place, there's a girl. A girl of the most humble estate. She says it right for us in verse 48. He has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. And that word in the Greek, humble estate, means under the thumb of tyrants. Mary is under the thumb of tyrants. And her estate represents in the personal the suffocation that the people of God are under. But before Mary says yes to the word of God from Gabriel, the word of God was already written on Mary's heart. The Magnificat of Mary, the verses that I read to you, verses 46 through 55, those verses that come from Mary are a volcanic eruption of 15 allusions that were already in her heart to the Old Testament scriptures that she carried around in her, and when she was squeezed, this is what came out. Simply the Bible, references to 1 Samuel, Genesis, Deuteronomy, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Micah, Ezekiel, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, all of this just came out of Mary. They just flowed from her heart in her Magnificat because she was raised on Scripture. She had memorized Scripture. She had sang Scripture. She had heard Scripture. She had treasured Scripture. She had believed Scripture. She had hoped in Scripture. So when Gabriel comes to Mary, Mary takes God at his word because she had always taken God at his word. Verse 38, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You see, Mary responded to the word from Gabriel because she had been responding to the word her entire life. And so when she hears in verses 36 and 37, that her relative Elizabeth in her old age is also conceived in the sixth month of she who was called barren, we get verse 
39, known as the visitation. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country. And here she's responding to the word again, the word of Gabriel, that the barren one, the old woman is now with child, and now the virgin, the impossible one, is also with child. But Mary, don't forget Mary. Don't forget Herod. Don't forget Caesar Augustus. This is the world that you're living in, Mary, and Mary knows this. Mary knows her humble estate. It is in her face every day. But something has changed. The dawn of redeeming grace is happening. The word that was in the heart of Mary is now in the womb of Mary. The inhospitality of the cold world has been answered by the warm belly of a virgin. How dare our foolish governor this week take the words sanctuary and abortion and put them together. How dare he? The womb is a sanctuary for new life. How dare California be a sanctuary for the butchering of children? You cannot put those words together. You cannot link those things together. The womb is a sanctuary for the unborn. Our faith starts in the womb. It starts in the womb. Worship of Jesus starts in the womb of Elizabeth. The womb is the home of Christmas. How can we be a sanctuary for such butchery? How can we be the baby butcher, Herod? How can this be okay? It cannot be okay. But there's Mary. And as Adam and Eve had listened to the serpent's lies and said yes, so Mary reverses this and listens to Gabriel's word and she receives the truth and said yes. And this is something that Elizabeth acknowledges. Look at verse 45. Elizabeth says of Mary, blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth acknowledges the faith that Mary has in the very word of God and in the very word that is in her womb. And with this comes a Holy Spirit animated inauguration of joy and celebration that will, that will be repeated all the way down through the ages to us. Everyone gets in on the stubborn, joyful, Holy Spirit animated celebration of Christmas. And it all is happening because of what verse 43 says. Elizabeth recognizes that what's going on in the womb next door is much different than what's going on in her womb. She says this, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come 
to me. In that womb is no ordinary person. It is the Lord himself. And because of who's in that womb, we have Holy Spirit animated, explosive, stubborn joy. And you want to know where it begins? It begins first in another womb. Look at verses 39 and 40. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Elizabeth and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, John the Baptist leaped in her womb. Now, if you were in chapel on Friday, I did this, and I actually jumped. And, and if you were there, you saw that I still have a vert after all these days. It was legit but it ain't happening in a worship service. So if it's on film, you might want to see it. But other than that, but John the Baptist leaps in the womb. And I want you to see this. For those of you who don't believe in the supernatural, for those of you who don't believe that John the Baptist was just looking, you think he's just looking for a better space in the womb to hang out than the one he had before. No, there was something different about this jump. Look at what verse 44 says. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. You want to know where the worship started of Christmas? It started in the womb next door to the womb of Mary. It started in the baby. Uh, it started in John the Baptist in the womb, and he leapt for joy. And then it went out from there to the old woman. And you'll notice that the old woman, uh, her name was Elizabeth, but she might have had a little bit of Deutsch in her because she was a loud woman, okay? And I'm not saying that about my mom. I'm saying that about the Deutsches are loud people. So I'm going to have to answer that later, but I was talking about me. Uh, notice what happened in verse 42, and she exclaimed with a loud cry. You can't hold the joy of Christmas back. It's explosive. It, it, a, a baby gets in on it, and he leaps for joy. An old woman gets in on it, and she screams, and she yells. And then you have Mary. She just explodes and gushes. The entire Old Testament comes out of her in the Magnificat. But wait, Herod, what about Herod? Wait, what about the taxes? Why are you celebrating? Why are you celebrating like this? Elizabeth, why are you celebrating like this? John the Baptist, why are you celebrating like this? Mary, why are you celebrating like this? You guys are acting like it's Christmas. Oh, it is. It is Christmas. That's why they are celebrating like this. But I want you guys to see something that is beautiful, that could easily be lost on us. In verse 42, Elizabeth says this. She exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women. That doesn't take place regularly in our Bible, that statement. Blessed are you among women. Actually, there's only one real place in the Bible where this takes place in another time, and it's in the book of Judges. And I want you to turn with me to Judges chapter five. Judges chapter five. In Judges chapter five, we meet another woman, and her name is Jael. 
And if you know the story of Jael, maybe you can start to sense and feel what's coming. We actually have this statement that is made about Mary, also made about Jael in Judges 5. And guess what? It's also in a song. It's also in a hymn. Jael is special because she is a part of those women in history who were a part of the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, that through the seed of the woman, the serpent's head would be crushed. And Jael is one of the serpent head crushing women in the Bible, okay? And we're going to sing about it. And so Judges 5.24 says this, Note and listen for the echo of Luke 1. Most blessed of women, there it is. Most blessed of women, Jael. Well, what did she do to get this, this great blessing pronounced over her? What did she do to have this come to her and be spoken of her and sung of her in this way? Most blessed women of Jael, the wife of Eber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He, Sisera, asked for water. She gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. How's that for reading? Now watch this. Between her feet, he sank. He fell. He lay still. Between her feet, he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Jael is most blessed among women in the Old Testament because God used her to crush the head of one of the serpents. And now the other time we see this statement in the Bible comes out of Elizabeth where Elizabeth says to Mary, most blessed are you among women because in the womb of Mary is the snake crusher himself. Amen? In the womb of Mary is the one who will come and crush the serpent's head. That is why she is most blessed among women. And we actually sing this in a Christmas carol. Rise the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. You see, Jesus is the one who from Mary's womb would come and deal the death blow to Satan himself on the cross, and the church would be the one that would carry out the finishing of that because the apostle Paul writes to the church at Rome that what began with Jesus will be finished by the dominion of the church because Paul writes and says to the church at Rome, soon Jesus will crush Satan under your feet. And you see, that's the mission of the church right now. We are participating in that very finishing up of what Jesus, he accomplished it, and the church through the means of grace finishes the mop up. All of this is happening in the days of Herod the king. All of this is happening on the horizon of a decree from Caesar Augustus. 
And notice that Mary's faith-filled, stubborn, and joy-filled celebration in the shadow of Herod, who she knows as a thug, and who she's going to have to go on the run from to Egypt because Herod's going to try to kill this baby. And in light of the coming decree that comes from Caesar Augustus, in that shadow that just lurked like the shadow of Mordor in the Lord of the Rings. Mary speaks in her Magnificat. Listen, this is so vital. In Mary's Magnificat, she speaks of all of this as if it's already been done. In the Greek, we call this tense the aorist tense. And what that means is that Mary speaks of all of the things that Jesus is going to accomplish as if it has already been accomplished simply because of the incarnation. Here is a faith that continues to believe in the promises of God after waiting 400 years for a voice from heaven, living in the shadow of Herod and Caesar Augustus, under the thumb of tyrants. She has a faith that can pierce through all of that and cling to the promises of God that are future and speak of them in the past tense as if they are already done. Look Look at it. Look at what Mary says. Verse 48, for he has looked. Look at verse 49. For he who is mighty has done. Verse 51, he has shown. He has scattered. Verse 52, he has brought down the mighty. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry. Verse 54, he has helped his servant. All the way through the Magnificat, Mary speaks of things that this Messiah that's in her womb is going to to accomplish into the future, but she speaks of all of them in the past tense. She speaks of all of them as if they are already done, because Mary can speak of future things as if they are already accomplished. Mary can speak of them as they are as good as done. And the reason why Mary can speak this way, that the promises, though yet future, are, oh, some of them are being fulfilled now, some of them are future, are as good as done, is because of who it is that is making the promises, who it is that is remembering, who it is that is speaking. These promises come with the guarantee of fulfillment, and Mary can speak of them in just that way because of who God is. And look at who God is in verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You see, Mary trusts this God because he is the God who makes covenant and he is the God who keeps covenant. And when God makes a covenant and when God keeps a covenant, he puts himself on the line, you see. Church, listen to me. When God cuts a covenant with his people, he puts his own name on the line. He puts his own glory on the line. He puts his own character on the line. And when God makes a covenant, when God cuts a covenant with his people, he is saying to his people, 
I would have to be obliterated. I would have to go out of existence. I would have to disappear. I would have to be untrue to myself. My attributes would have to fail. My person as God would have to fail for my covenant to fail. You see, Mary knows that God's covenant is as good as the God who backs the covenant. So she can speak of these promises as already fulfilled, even though in her lifetime, many of them will just begin to be fulfilled. She can live off of those very promises, you see. Because she, this God of covenant can be trusted because throughout history he has already been keeping his word. And the baby in her womb is also the keeping of sacred scripture and promises and prophecies. And the baby in Elizabeth's womb is also the keeping of these promises. But notice that when God keeps his covenant and God keeps his promises... They don't always come with all of this fanfare. They don't often break in always. The sky doesn't always open up like it does in Luke 2. Begins small. Begins infantile. And then moves. But Mary knows this. Mary knows this and she believes this. And the question is, do we? Do we believe in the God who is, going to, who is bringing about and is going to continue to bring about the great reversals that Mary speaks of right here? Look at verses 51 through 53. Mary, Mary speaks of the kingdom that's coming with her, the king who is in her womb. And you'll notice that this is a series of reversals. Okay, the upside-down kingdom the kingdom of God that comes that looks very different than Herod's kingdom. It looks very different than Caesar's kingdom. Caesar's kingdom comes at the end of taxation unto death. Herod's kingdom comes at the end of paranoia and everything he can do to keep his throne from those who are suspicious around him. But those kingdoms... Those kingdoms, the kingdoms of paranoia and the kingdoms of taxation are temporary kingdoms. There's a reversal that's begun to take place and it begins in the church of Jesus Christ. And Mary speaks of this. She says in verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. That's a transliteration of the Hebrew El Gibor. God, the mighty warrior. But what is he going to do? He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Those people who think that, they, that their intellect is too smart for the incarnation. Those people who think they are too wise. Those among us who, who think that they can figure it all out that their intellect is, and their wisdom and their smarts is all that they need. The Bible says, no, God's going to come and scatter the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. 
Those who are on their thrones and are paranoid for their thrones and who live exalted and who thug and thumb other people, they're coming down. And in the kingdom of God, it's the humble who are exalted. Those who are filled and those who have everything so that they don't think they need God, the rich, does not mean if the Lord has blessed you, you're disqualified. It means, though, if the Lord's blessed you, give thanks and be generous. These are people who think because they have stuff that they don't need God, they're going down. And those who don't have anything, God's going to fill with good things. You see, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of reversal where the things that the world treasures and the things that the world prizes, we don't. We have, we, have, we have a different way of seeing things, a different way of exalting things, a different way of humbling things, a different way of treasuring things in the kingdom. You see, while our foolish governor wants to make this a sanctuary for the butcher of unborn children, the church treasures its children. Children, look at me. That's why you're in this room right now. You're in this room right now, children, because you're cherished, because you're protected, because you're loved, because the men and women in this room would lay their lives down for you because of a Savior who laid his life down for them. The children are welcome with Jesus, right? But Herod's, Herod's don't last. Herod's become worm food. Turn with me over to Acts 12, we're gonna see this. You're like, man, Pastor David, this is kind of a rated more than PG-13 sermon. Yes, it is. Acts chapter 13, we meet the death of a Herod. Now, this is not Herod of Luke 1. This is his grandson. So the bad genes really ran down, okay? Uh, it's Herod the Great in Luke 1. This is Herod Agrippa I, his grandson. I want you guys to see what's on the horizon for those who think they are too much for God or those who take to themselves and think because of their positions politically that they are a God. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 20, Mary knows in her Magnificat that these guys don't have the final word. God's going to have the final word. The baby in her womb is going to have the final word. Acts chapter 13, verse 20, now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat on his throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God, not of a man. Let's see how this works out. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. Now watch the order of this. You can't even make a movie like this. And he was eaten by worms and then breathed his last. 
not the other way around. A close reading of your Bible tells you God deals with tyrants. So let's let God deal with them. Let's let God deal with them. So what do we do? What do we do in the shadow of Herod? What do we do in the shadow of the decree of Caesar? What do we do? Well, church, I'm going to close with this. Here's what we do. We do what our mothers did. Our mother Mary and our mother Elizabeth. We do exactly what our mothers do. Church, listen to me. You are to be the most stubborn people on the face of the earth. Let no one ever be more stubborn than you, ever. We, like Mary and Elizabeth, in the face of an inhospitable world, we are going to be the stubborn people of God. We are going to gather together regularly, weekly, and every other context there is under these shadows, and we're going to worship no matter what they say. We're going to sing no matter what they say. We're going to pray no matter what they say. We're going to preach no matter what they say. We're going to eat no matter what they say. We're going to sacrifice no matter what they say. We're going to love no matter what they say. We're going to be generous no matter what they say. We're going to be kind no matter what they say. We're going to be bold no matter what they say. We're going to live no matter what they say. We're going to die no matter what they say. And we are not going to stop repeating the sounding joy because Jesus Christ is king and we are his stubborn people. Amen.